0: good to see each one here tonight. I know that many of you are uh, having family in. Many of you are visiting with us tonight, or several of you are. We appreciate those who are visiting with us. And uh, it's our goal and our privilege to always, when we meet together, to take some time to study together from God's Word. And tonight I chose to use an illustration of something that perhaps, is on many people's minds. You know, the Bible says to redeem the time because the days are evil. That means you make the most use of the opportunities that you have. And while people have been thinking about the birth of Christ, I believe everybody knows the basic facts that are there. Mary and Joseph had made their journey to the city of Bethlehem because there was a tax or a census. Probably both of them were involved in that. And they made their way to the city of Bethlehem. When they arrived, there was no room for them in the inn. And it is implied within that because there was no room and because Jesus was laid in a manger that they were then in some sort of the area where there was a stable. Now, Larry just read to us from Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 and gave us all the details that was there. What I find sad, what I've always found sad, is the fact that they were not able to stay in a normal room. They had to stay in a place where animals were kept. I thought it was always real sad that our Lord had to be placed in what was a feeding trough. And that's what became his bassinet or the manger that is used there. But What is even more sad is Brother Paul led the song just a few moments ago about telling me the story of Jesus It wasn't just about telling the story of his birth. The second verse says tell of the temptations that he bore. The third verse tell of the uh, death that he experienced on the cross. What is sad is the Lord never had a place like a home that we can think of as an adult. He said to them, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I find that incredibly sad because there was no place for Jesus. Yet, as we continue to study through the Bible, there is a figure given in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And there, John, recording the words for Jesus, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I want you to think the Lord is still looking for a place, but he's looking for a place in people's hearts. He's wanting to be invited in. He will not force his way into your life, he will not ask you to make a room for him if you do not wish to do so. He must be invited in. Now what I would like to do in our lesson this evening is to look at three groups who had no room for Jesus and then finally to draw some observations from that. We want to look at Herod had no room for Christ. The materialistic multitudes that he dealt with had no room for him. Neither did the Jewish sect which he had to deal with. Now, as I begin and I think about Herod, you have to realize that when we say Herod, there's a whole family of them. In fact, this morning as we read from Luke chapter 3, verse 1, there was Herod the Tetrarch. There was a whole family of these guys, but they really descended from the one that they called Herod the Great. And the reason why he was known as the Great rather than Herod the Terrible was because of all that He built. In fact, if you just go around the Bible lands, you see that he built the platform upon which the temple, Herod's temple, it wasn't really his. It was Solomon's temple that had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel, but then had been refurbished and uh, adorned by Herod. You can see his palaces that he had at Masada, that he had at Jericho and Herodium. He had a beautiful palace built on uh, Caesarea by the sea a great builder and known for that. But he also was not only a man who built great places, but he was a man extremely jealous. In fact, he was so jealous he had his wife killed. He was so jealous and fearful that his sons might somehow rise up and challenge him for his throne, he even has his own sons killed. He suspected just about everybody. So Herod was not a man who was to be trifled with Herod reviewed the report of Jesus as just another threat to his kingdom. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 and verse 16, and we're not going to look at every detail there, but if you'll remember, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Listen carefully to verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod so troubled? Because he saw this as a challenge. Where is the king of the Jews? So he's going to inquire, verse 4, about where. they are taught, He is told in verse 5 in Bethlehem of Judea. It is quoted from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Then as you begin to look at verse 7, he's called these wise men in secretly. He wants to determine the time frame. He wants to know how old Jesus would be. And you say, well, he's a baby. No, if you study this carefully, this, Jesus is not a newborn infant at this point. Because if you look at verse 8, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him also. They departed, they went, and they found where the young child was, and they rejoiced exceedingly. Now look at verse 11. And when they had come into the house, he's no longer in the inn, he's now in a house. They saw the young child, they saw Mary his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. But you drop down to verse 16, it says, Herod, when he saw he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its district from two years old and under. Herod was not going to allow anyone to challenge his authority to be king. His only concern to see Jesus was to have him killed. And I think it's significant He didn't want anybody to challenge his rule, his authority. He didn't want anyone to challenge him from doing what he, Herod, wanted to do. Now let's look also at the materialistic multitudes. There are thousands of people who are following Jesus. And you say, really? Thousands? Oh, yes. You know, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he goes and he sits down and has the multitude to sit down and he delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Many of them, though, came just wanting something. Let me illustrate this to you. Mark chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. He said, When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of fragments did you take up? They said 12. Also, when I broke seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? They said seven. Notice, There are 9,000 people reflected in just this section of Scripture. Jesus addressed multitudes and multitudes of people. The question is, how many of those people were following Jesus because they were interested in His being the Son of God? Well, I can read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, that Paul would say, He says there are many walk of whom I've told you often and even now tell you weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. In other words, it's all about satisfying me. James chapter 4 verse 3, he says you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. How many people have a religion in their life that says, I want God in my life because I want to serve Him. How many people say, I want God in my life so God can serve me, provide for what I want and what I need? Now sadly, many of those who showed the least concern for spiritual things were those who were the most demanding in physical things. Give me this. Give me that. I mentioned this morning that when people call for benevolent help, quite frequently I'll ask them where they attend church. Do you know what the most common answer is? I don't go anywhere. I'm looking for a church. Well, you found one. You You want to know the times of our services? No, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. Well, would you like to take a Bible correspondence course? No, I don't think I'd be interested in one of those. You see, there are many people more interested like the materialistic multitudes than were interested in the truth. It's not simply because someone has material things that crowds the Lord out of their life. It's when they love them too much. It's when the pursuit of things becomes the most important thing in their life. In First Timothy chapter six, verses nine and ten, but those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare, and in many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And then he's going to follow up in verses 17 through 19 to charge the rich not to be high-minded or haughty and trust in uncertain riches. You see, the problem is, is that people love them too much. They trust in them too much to the point that they don't love God as much as they ought to love Him. But now let's talk about the third group of people, and that's the Jewish sects. When you start thinking about the Jews in the first century, they were not all the same. It's just like Americans today. If you'd say everybody who is a citizen of the United States, they all believe the same, we'd say, no, there's not. Politically, you have your Republicans, you have your Democrats, you have your independents. When you think religiously speaking, you can have people of the various, very, I mean, major religions, you can have Muslims, you can have Buddhists and Hindus, you can have your atheists who believe in man, and you can have those of the big group that call themselves Christians. When you think about the sects of the Jews, there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Essenes, and I just want to mention the first two because they're the major ones. The Sadducees had no room for Jesus in their life. The reason was because Jesus' message was simple. He says, you take this body, destroy this body, in three days I will raise it up. Jesus taught about the resurrection of the dead, about man coming back to life. He talked about eternity. Acts 23.8 says, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, no spirit. The Pharisees confess them both. You see, the Sadducees didn't have time. They didn't have place for Jesus in their life because of that. Jesus taught everything they denied, and as a result, they had no room for him. But then the Pharisees didn't have any room for Jesus because of their traditions and because of their show-off. You remember in Mark chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, They had rebuked Jesus because his disciples were eating with unwashed hands. And immediately after that, Jesus confronted them because of all the traditions that they had developed. And one of them particularly was the fact they would not help their parents because they would say, what I was going to give you is Corbin, that is dedicated to God. And Jesus' response would say, Uh, to them in verse 12, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God void or no effect through your tradition which you have handed down in many such things you do. You see, their idea was our traditions are more important than who you are. And so Jesus was confronting them seemingly at every occasion. Of course, Luke 16, 14 says the Pharisees were lovers of money and he said they derided him. Oh, you mean you don't love money? No, Jesus didn't love money. But most of all, Jesus opposed and exposed their hypocrisy. They wanted to make men think they were very religious and loved God when in reality they loved themselves And they love people following them. In Matthew 23. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best place at the feast and the best seats in the synagogue. Greetings in the marketplace. To be called by men, Rabbi. You see, for them it was all about the show that you would put on. You know, if that's what you're about... You don't have room for the real Jesus. Now, for just a few minutes, let's think about this. Jesus had no place in the lives of some of these because he interferes with the love of self. How many of us today, I mean this very evening, have trouble serving the Lord because what the Lord is asking out of us is greater than what we want to give because we want our way. We want what we want to do. And there's no room for Jesus in our lives. In 2 Timothy 3, he says this will happen in the latter days. There will be perilous times who will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unloving, unholy, uh, unforgiving, slanders without self-control. You see the kind of people he talks about? People who love self more than they love God. In contrast, Jesus showed us the way we ought to do it. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we're to have the mind that Jesus had because he was in the form of God, we ought and did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant. He served. I thought this past week as I attended the funeral of Brother Ernest Laws, thinking about how that man served the Lord's church. He made room in his life for Jesus, He made room in his life to be a Christian. He made room in his life to see that his children saw Jesus in their family. That's what we're talking about. Romans 15.3 says, Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I'm willing to take whatever to make room for you. A second application is is people do not have time in their lives and room in their lives because of their pursuit and their desire for things. They're so self-absorbed with what they want, they can't serve. As Mark 4 verse 19 says, The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things choke the word. So many people have allowed themselves to become materialist, and they don't have room for the Lord. And sadly, some have a religion like those Pharisees and Sadducees that will not allow the Lord to be the head. We have men on the face of this earth who have decided that they want to be over a church themselves. I'm sure many of you have perhaps seen on the television this last few days the Man who is the head of the Roman Catholic Church. They refer to him as the Pope. He rules. Where does the Lord come in in all of this? Where is the Lord's praise? In Amos chapter 4 verse 5 in the American Standard reading says, And offer sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leaven and proclaim freewill offerings and publish them. For this pleases you. You see, they don't have room for the Lord in their life because everything they're wanting pleases them rather than pleasing God. Jeremiah 16, 12. And you've done worse than your fathers. For behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. Oh, you can look throughout history and you can see it today. There are numerous people. In fact, there are churches that claimed to be Christian churches that did not meet today so they could celebrate a secular day because it pleased them. Let me ask you a question. Is that putting the Lord first or is that putting personal people first? How many religions have become so worldly focused that they have no heavenly worth? If your religion is so small that it has no room for Jesus, don't expect it to take you to heaven. Jesus is making room for those who make room for him. I want you to listen to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll bring this lesson to a close. Let not your heart be troubled. If you don't have room for the Lord in your life now, He will have no room for you. Wouldn't it be a shame for death to arrive at your door and you to be standing ready to enter into what you hope are the joys of the Lord and for the Lord to look and say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Such sad words. You can't come in. The door is shut. You made no room for me here. There's no room for you here. Tonight, if you need to become a Christian, why not respond to the invitation of Jesus? Why not, believing in Him, repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized? Why not? if you are a child of God and you've got sin that's dominating your life, to deal with it by repenting of it and let's praying together. Would you come while we stand and sing?